We've been in pandemic mode for years now, but hospital leaders still see new challenges for 2022. Healthcare workers have reached their breaking point, causing some of the biggest staffing challenges yet. At the same time that competition for workers is increasing, competition for patient relationships is increasing as well. Do you remember when Microsoft and Google dipped their toe in the water with Health Vault and Google Health in the early 2010s? Well, the age of tepid tech and retail entries in healthcare is over. Amazon, CVS, and many others are showing that they're committed to stay. Amazon just announced their telehealth services are national, and CVS isn't slowing down and growing its primary care arm. So we're facing operational challenges on the inside, and we're facing ravenous competition on the outside. How can we keep growing and activating patient relationships? Alan Shoebridge, Chief Communication Officer at Providence, Oregon, has outlined a five-step approach to this. It begins with how you take care of yourself and how you take care of your team on a personal level. Then it moves to the strategy needed to respond to the challenges we outlined. We'll dig in more with Alan after the break. Consumer experiences, major disruptors in AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. I'm Chris Hemphill, VP of Applied AI at Actium Health, and we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future in healthcare. Alan, I'll give you a chance to uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Chris. I'm Alan Shoebridge, Chief Communication Officer for Providence in Oregon. For those of you who might not be familiar with Providence, a multi-state health system. Uh, here in Oregon, we have eight hospitals, about 20,000 employees, uh, more than 90 clinics, so a pretty big footprint across the state. Happy to, to spend a little time with you today. Alan, could you share just a bit on, on your background and what you're hoping people are going to leave today with? Yeah, so, you know, I've worked in healthcare really for the last 15 years, and you know, during that time, I think, you know, I've had a variety of roles in both marketing and communication. Over time, you know, I think we've moved as an industry where I joined up. It was all about heads and beds. Over the last decade, it's become more about value-based care and trying to work for you know, some larger solutions, be more patient-focused and patient-centric, which I think is really good. And then all of a sudden, over the last five years, things have really kind of amped up. We've had a lot of disruptors come into healthcare. That's forced many of us to change about how we think, kind of accelerate party plans we might be doing anyways, but we've accelerated them. And then in March of 2020, the biggest disruptor I think I've ever seen, COVID hit. And that really has changed, you know, what we've been doing and how we respond. And it's made it very difficult, I think, for us to go back and say, you know, we're now in a, a very consistent patient acquisition mode because for the last two years, it's been very hard to do that. There's been pockets of time where we could go back to, I think, how we might have operated prior to 2020. And there's been uh, times when we just can't at all. So I think for today, it's trying to figure out you know, again, what do we need to sort of prioritize? What steps do we need to take to, if we're in that journey, as people said, you know, the, for those who are getting back to normal, how do we kind of get off that roller coaster a little bit, prioritize things and operate in a normal capacity for as long as we can? I think there's ways to do that. But we also know, and I'm not going to make any predictions about, hey, once we get past Omicron and we get into, you know, March, everything's good. I mean, who knows, right? So we need to maximize our time in those good spaces. And I think today, I hope people can leave with a feeling of, uh, they've got some more guidance to help do that. That's really actually a good lead in too, because when we talk, there's there's something that I always bring up, which is at the time early on when COVID was just getting started. And you had a really unique response to that, I thought, which was while it was a really 
confusing, traumatizing time for many people. And the decision was made in a lot of cases to pull back on communications, pull back on engagement, activation, outreach, and things like that. But your response seemed to be the opposite, where you expanded the amount of communication and started a podcast, started went into multiple channels in response to that. Somehow that, that kind of gives me a hint at your philosophy, your, your leadership style when it comes to communication. And just curious about what drives that confidence to experiment with these new channels and even launch more communications while they're really dire situations at hand. Yeah, well, just for a little bit of context. So I, I've actually gone through a job change. So when I was working at my previous system, it was a smaller system. Um, our resources were pretty constrained. But we had thought about doing some of this stuff. We kind of had a roadmap where, yeah, you know, in six months, maybe we'll start experimenting with a newsletter. And then in 12 months, maybe we'll add a podcast and then we'll do more videos and we'll do more virtual events. We had this sort of roadmap and it was all sectioned out. And I think, you know, in normal times, we probably would have done a little more experimenting and see how things work. But with COVID, as I mentioned, it was that huge disruptor where we had a need to get more messaging out more, you know, in more ways quicker than we ever had before. And so I think it accelerated what for many of us and like me was, you know, people who want to do different things, who want to experiment, who are open to new ideas. But it was this accelerator of like, let's take all that energy, but let's do it now. Let's see how much we can do. And if something fails fast, great, we'll set it off to the side and we won't do it anymore. So I think that was a huge impetus. And I think there's probably a lot of people on the call today who are listening who, does, who had to do the same thing. All of a sudden, you need to get more information out to a broader audience. You need to break through the noise. So you look at new channels to do that. You evaluate if they work and you stick with it if they do. That was really a huge part of the driver. And also, I think one of my biggest lessons from COVID has been the distinction between your internal and external audiences, I think, is not necessarily as big as it used to be. I think so much of the content we produce now is applicable to both. So if we're doing, you know, a podcast or a video on, you know, our chief medical officer talking about Omicron or whatever, well, that could, with almost no changes or no changes, could go out to both our internal and external audiences. It just becomes, how do you sequence it? You know, get it out to your employees first, get it out to the public right away after. I think, you know, again, prior to COVID, a lot more focus was on very distinct content and messages. Things cannot overlap, you know. And now it's really like that distinction between the audiences is less important. It's more about getting the information out, making sure your you know, employees know first, but then right on following with communications to the public. So I think that all of that energy and all that sort of disruption by COVID really helped drive some positive changes in how I thought about content. And I'm sure it does for many other people. Yeah, and, and that's a powerful example, too, because a lot of time a content strategy can appear intimidating if there's lots of costly avenues to produce. So what's being produced for an internal audience can be repurposed for an external or vice versa. That sounds like a really powerful approach to be able to do something that scales. Yeah, well, the nice thing, too, is once you build it and you get a plan and you have, it becomes easier to do. Some of these things, I think, to your point, when you're thinking about it in the abstract, it just becomes, well, I don't have the time or the resource but when you actually sort of do it, it becomes more manageable. And I think, then again, the key is just really evaluating every once in a while to say, you know, are we really getting the value out of this for the time we're putting in? Because I think a lot of situations, it becomes really a time and resource aspect. You know, that's, that's another thing. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but, you know, right now our teams are burned out. People are tired. You know, people are shifting jobs. There's a lot going on. And I think, it's really important for everyone you know, here who is a leader managing a team to really say, if I ask the team to do one more thing, is this too much? You know, like you, it has to actually like evaluating and maybe pulling back a little bit. 
now that we've got everything in place, right now is a, is a good time to evaluate things. And I, I just want to throw out a, a couple of metrics out there that we pulled. We did a survey on uh, 1,200 healthcare consumers, and we were asking them about what brands they're most interested in hearing from. And we asked them about like retail and banking, finance, and all that kind of stuff, especially I think important at the time that we delivered the survey, which was like last year. Despite all the interesting, fun things that, that uh, Nordstrom and Amazon can talk about, 66% of the uh, audience that we surveyed, what they wanted to hear from the most was their healthcare providers. But at the same time, only 49% of, of the audience had heard from them. So that's a powerful point that if we're like, is that our, our consumers in a lot of cases really want to hear from us, but it, it can be hard to deliver. The content strategy can be extremely difficult. Well, I think that's another thing that's, again, maybe I, I hate to say there's sort of anytime there's silver linings from COVID because the damage has been so immense. But one of the powerful things was there have been times where People, I agree with you, most people do not want to hear from their healthcare system unless they have a problem, right? They're managing a health condition, then it's great to hear from them. You know, you want to hear, you want communication. But if you're relatively healthy, you don't really want to hear from your healthcare system ever. You've got other things you want to think about. Well, when COVID hit, all of a sudden people wanted to hear from healthcare system. They're like, what are we doing to address this? What do I need to do safe? You know, of the people that I would trust to get a message on safety precautions or vaccines, well, I mean, my local doctor, my local health system all of a sudden had a lot more kind of relevant front mind for people who never, you know, for any other reason, wouldn't be thinking about us. So it did actually open the door to, I think, engage more people. And, you know, I still feel like a lot of us are leveraging those things today. People we pulled into our social media channels or our content channels that otherwise probably would have ignored us. They are giving us more attention. I think the challenge is their attention does wane, you know, as COVID recedes, you know, how do you get them back? How do you keep them activated? Um, that's a big challenge for us moving ahead. And a great point too there because what we're establishing is that content strategy on multiple channels is possible often with repurposing content and right now while there's a, a big challenge people want to hear from us and perhaps that interest goes up and down and that really leads me to kind of the next question about 2022 given that we're at the height of the Omicron variant and the seven-day moving average has, has uh, declined, but there's all kinds of unpredictable factors. How do you think that we should be thinking about the, this strategy just in the, in the context of, of 2022 with these villain of the week variants? What, what, what should be the first focus given the, the, the potential nature here? Well, this might, seem, might sound a little bit strange, but our real focus should be actually, I think, on self-care and care for our teams if you're a leader. So I think many of us, you know, really have been going full speed ahead for almost two years. Many of us haven't taken our regular vacations, things like that. As we get into a place, and again, I, I'm hopeful, and I'm not making predictions, but I'm hopeful, you know, as we get into the late spring, early summer, that a lot of us will be in a much better place. And I think, and if you're already there, for some of those people who took the first poll and you're already kind of working normal, I think now is the time to sort of shore things up, you know, take some time off for yourself encourage your staff to do the same thing, figure out what you want to do as far as personal development, team development, all those things that I think were possible to do during the last you know, few months, but were really difficult and actually over the last two years, really difficult to do. I think you need to start there and evaluate that. Now, if you were somehow really good and, and were able to kind of go above the fray and, and again, take enough time for yourself to feel recharged and to make sure your team's doing the same, that's great. Maybe you don't have the same need, but I, I look, I would look inward to yourself, make sure you have what you need to kind of hit the ground running, get your energy up again, and really evaluate for your team as well. So I think what you got to do that first, 
I think, and then you can kind of move on to some of the other steps we're going to talk about. But again, look, look within yourself first, uh, give yourself the grace to kind of recharge. We really need that. And I think the other reason it's so important is again, we don't know how long this normal period is going to last. So for those of us who can shift in that normal period now, you know, are we still going to be there in July or October? We don't know. So I think if you get a chance, again, to recharge, reevaluate, do it now while you have the opportunity, because again, we might not have a chance later. So I really encourage people to kind of stay there, start there. That's the first place to start. Excellent. And uh, that's a powerful place to start too, because I, I think it's unacknowledged how important health is, personal health, mental well-being into making a vast quantity of, of good decisions versus bad decisions all day long. There's a strong impact that uh, kind of gets ignored because the focus is typically on the business rather than the person. Well, and I, I think too, you know, I, and again, I, I'm never going to compare anything I go through to what health frontline healthcare workers are going through, but you know, the amount of work and stress and scheduling challenges and all that, I don't think anyone who's worked in the industry very long would argue that the last two years have been the most stressful, the most challenging, the most demanding. And so that does take a toll. You know, again, I mean, we're not facing angry patients and we're not, you know, putting our health at risk, but we're doing a lot to support our organizations and we're probably working harder than we ever have. And you you kind of add on to that sort of just the stress that goes on of the community dialogue about things like masking or vaccination that you know, in our roles, we're playing a role in helping our healthcare systems talk about those things, address them. That's stressful too. So again, I think it, it just starts with that sort of self-care piece, really evaluating how you feel, what you want to accomplish. Uh, and if you need to take some time to focus on yourself, I think you need to do that as a first step. So that kind of leads into another question too, where like a, a lot of the conversation that you've been focused on, a, a, a lot of things I, I've, I've seen you discuss have been around staffing challenges, the ability to even find appropriate levels of people to, to deliver the services that you're communicating about. Sometimes it feels like as a marketer, we don't have anything to market. So kind of my next question is, given these operational challenges and given the potential for exacerbating an already bad experience for patients by sending them to uh, services and things like that that aren't available. What should we be doing to focus on these operational challenges? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple levels of operational things that we need to look at. One for, you know, again, people like me, you know, basically right now in Oregon, we're closing down scheduled surgeries. We've got National Guards in our hospital. You know, the clinics are understaffed. Like, we're not trying to drive any business right now. We're trying to you know, triage the most important people who need care, make sure people get the appropriate tests they need where they need it, all that. So, you know, we're not in the marketing, active marketing mode. I do know that when we come out of this, what we're going to have to look at are going back to those fundamentals that a lot of people on this call probably know well, but it's really looking at the operations and saying, can they actually take new business? What do we have that actually can take new business? And that is a, a special challenge, I think, coming into 2022 with all the staffing turnover and burnout is that, you know, again, we've got a lot of open positions, people across the country, every healthcare system's got a lot of open positions generally. And that makes it very difficult to ensure that if we're marketing something or we're communicating about something that we're going to have enough staff to, to service it, people can make an appointment in a timely fashion. So I think what people need to do now is they get into this part of like building their plan and having their conversations with their operational partners. That's really important too. I think, you know, again, as we're returning to what I guess I would call normal business, part of that means you're sitting down with your business uh, partners, you're sitting down with your executives, and you're talking about where's the opportunity. And the, the cross-section there is looking at where those opportunities are and where there's capacity. So 
you know, again, if there's issues with you can't make an appointment for six months or, you know, right now the patient experience is very poor because we don't have enough staff or we can't answer the phones. Those are all like real concerns. And again, I would look for the areas where maybe there is a cross section of we've got capacity. There's value to our healthcare system to market this. And there's something I can influence with patient demand for marketing. That's, I think, where it would start now. Um, and again, that's going to change over the course of the year. So you would think that, again, as we get out of kind of, we get into more normal operations, you know, maybe the staffing and things improve over the course of the year. I think there'll be more and more things to promote. Um, but right now, we just need to be really careful because I've always been extremely cautious about driving any patient to a bad situation. So if either they're going to have a, a poor experience or they can't get an appointment, I really don't want to market that or communicate about that until we're ready to accept them. So that that's a fundamental principle that I, I don't think has changed. But again, I think COVID as the as a disruptor has meant that staffing challenges are, are just really strong right now. And they're going to be something that we're dealing with for a couple of years, frankly, I think. I think, you know, all of 2022 is going to be dealing with that and beyond. And we really just need to make sure we're looking at it. Is that, is that impacting operations in a way that makes it impractical to market or promote our services? Uh, that's definitely a, a powerful way to think about it. And I know that you're not in a marketing mode, like not in a promotion of new services mode right now, but just have, with your experience in kind of looking across at operations and making sure that there were, would be sufficient lead acceptance based on capacity available, could you talk just a little about a time that you were going to run a campaign, but found out that based on operational capacity, that that shouldn't happen. I'm trying to like change the names to protect the innocent, you know, but that it happens a lot. And I think a common thing that would come up quite a bit is you would hear from a physician about, well, I really need some more business at my clinic. And my next question goes to the actual like clinic manager or the actual operations people and say, you know, hey, I heard from Dr. Smith and he really wants to do some promotion. And they'll tell me, well, wait, he doesn't have access for six months. <laughs> and so then, you know, you can kind of have a conversation where you go back and you really try to find out what's the true need here. What do we really want to do? Maybe you know, Dr. Smith really wants to focus on getting his reputation out with referring providers. Well, that's maybe something we could do because he might not have capacity for a big public facing uh, marketing campaign, but maybe a physician outreach strategy is the right way to go. So that comes up a lot. I think it's just really important to ask anyone who's promoting new service the path for how people get to it. So that's the other thing as marketers and communicators were asked all the time. We're like, well, let's just throw something up on the website. Let's put some copy up there. And my question always is, well, how are, people, how are we going to get people there? And how do they get there? Because, you know, many of the services we get asked to promote are driven through referral processes. So if you're just hoping someone stumbles on your website to make a self-referral, it's not really going to work if actually they call a phone number and they get told, well, your primary care doctor actually has to refer you here or you need to see this specialist first or whatever. So there's always that challenge. I just like to map out the path, you know, so for anything that you're going to be asked to promote, what is the path to get there? And if there's barriers to get there that you can't control, then that's where you need to step back and try to remove those barriers, get those barriers out of the way, and then kind of proceed with your marketing or communications. That's the best way to attack it. It, it may sound funny to you, Chris, but most marketers get questions like this a couple times a year. We really need to market something. And then you dig in and you say, what's the access? What's the path? And then you realize that there's some barriers that have to be taken out there. One of the complexities of marketing in healthcare is, again, it's not just like we can offer a product and anyone can buy it. I always think about things like if you want to you know, sell a TV or a car or whatever, you just throw an ad out there and it's up to the person. They can go buy it, whether they can afford it or not. It's the question. If they can put it on a credit card, they can go take it. In healthcare, 
you know, again, a lot of our services are heavy in the process mode of you've got to have the right insurance, you've got to have the right referral pattern, we've got to have access for you. There's a lot of factors that make it you know, very difficult to market our products. It kind of involves asking a question then, okay, well, hey, somebody says to you, we really need to market something. But on the flip side, okay, well, if we do successfully market it and we uh, drive somebody's interest, they're looking at the paper or clicking the link and, and all that. What's the experience that they're going to receive after that? Yeah, well, obviously you're going to have questions like, is this a service that makes sense for us to market in terms of either it being something that drives revenue, which is important. You know, I know a lot of us are not for profit, but you know, there's the phrase, you know, no margin, no mission, right? So, you know, if we're going to market something, we're going to spend dollars to market something. Does it actually bring money in? Does it cost us money? I mean, there are things that procedures and things that we lose money on. So, again, you have to be careful. Like, is if what we're going to do, does it have a revenue factor or is it strategically important for community health or something else? But there's that functional piece of asking those questions, too, on the business side. What does it mean if we drive a bunch of people in here? Because if we drive a bunch of people into a service, again, that is not strategically important or maybe cost us money, that, that's bad marketing. Hello Healthcare is brought to you by Actium Health. Healthcare leaders use Actium CRM intelligence to activate patients and drive meaningful engagement. You can make it simple to identify and predict patient needs by using AI-driven next best actions. Learn more at actiumhealth.com. And now back to the show. It does sound like we're talking about revenues and the business and everything like that. But when we're overall considering the capacity and uh, the type of experience somebody's going to have, then that's definitely putting the, putting the patient in the center. But we're on the, the capacity side, the internal hospital operations. But there was a, another point that I, uh, that I thought was really interesting, especially you brought it up a little bit earlier, which was around the innovators coming into healthcare, such as the Amazons of the world, the Walmart in its way, CVS. <laughs> Mark Cuban, right? Mark Cuban's pharmacy benefit piece. I don't know if you saw that. That's the big, that's the flavor de jour this week is Mark Cuban's effort. So sorry to well, interrupt I'm, you. And yeah, so I, I know these things happen fast. Like changes, <laughs> changes coming fast around here. One thing that a lot of these players have in common is their use of data to understand who their audiences are and to understand the sometimes the right ways to navigate people through things or the right, just the right things to suggest. And I'm, I'm curious about what can hospitals learn from what these organizations are doing, maybe even Mark Cuban too, about what, what can health systems learn about knowing their audiences and, and tailoring their experiences? Yeah, I think, you know, just knowing the audience is the number one thing. It's really important. And I always get a little bit frustrated because I think there's a lot of people who feel like most healthcare, traditional healthcare systems are not focused on this. And that's not true. Actually, I don't think I've met a marketing and communication professional in the last five to 10 years who doesn't have some level of really focusing on this, who's, whose organization is not starting to think about ways to better you know, connect and focus on the patient. I, th- I really think that's been happening for a number of years. The challenge is just, again, breaking through all the other things that are going on in the traditional healthcare space. So I think the nice thing is we've really learned that that patient focus is important, convenience, choice, that's, that really matters the most. And we've kind of pivoted. I think every traditional healthcare provider is pivoting to offering more of that. And I think that's being driven from two fronts. One is seeing some of these new disruptors come in, do different things, basically kind of protecting the business. But on the other hand, it's very aligned with our mission of just serving people better and offering more more choices. And, you know, many of our healthcare organizations are partnering with 
some of these disruptors, and in many cases, we're partnering with these disruptors to do things, or we're partnering with other vendors and people who are entering the space to do it as well. So I think there's a lot of innovation going on, probably more innovation and more innovative thinking going on than most people would suspect. But I do have to say, and again, not, not to use this as an excuse, but COVID has slowed it down a little bit. It becomes difficult to think about, again, you know, rolling out some new piece of connection or to a patient or whatever, when we're just trying to figure out how to service people showing up in our emergency department without overflowing, right? So, I mean, it does slow things down. But again, I think when we get out of this um, situation, again, you'll, I think you'll see a lot of healthcare systems pivot back to that, continue to focus on it. And, and many have just, many have had resources to do this while COVID has been going on. But again, that can be kind of challenging. I like the way that you phrase that. And I kind of see it as a uh, pendulum where on the one side, there's this capacity question that we're trying to answer. But then with that given capacity, it's a question of, well, who's the most in need and who's the, the, going to be the most receptive to what type of communication and things, uh, things around that? Yeah. And again, I, if I would kind of sum up anything that's happened in the industry of the last 10 years, I do think all these entrants in have found healthcare to be very difficult. I, I'm not an expert on this, but I, I, there was some other news last week about IBM Watson being sold off, right? So, you know, that was going to be a huge, just, okay, you know, again, it's a game changer. And, uh, you know, kind of, maybe not, you know. And so I think what we found, again, is you have a lot of entrants coming to healthcare that are finding it's difficult to navigate. But what they're trying to do in terms of making care more personalized, getting more options to people, in some instances, reducing costs, some instances, not reducing costs. But, you know, those things are positive and they're helping us, I think, focus in more and also drive ourselves more to deliver those things. So I think I think on the, on the whole, it's very positive. And I again, I feel like most people who are in their careers in healthcare right now are very aligned to this. They want a more patient focused approach. They want more value being delivered. That Those are things we all support. I'm going to be honest with you on this. With regards to Watson, for years, when I, when I, when I heard about Watson answering Jeopardy questions and then making its supposed foray into healthcare, like one of the things that was discussed was that it could read large numbers of research papers and then better inform clinical decisions, but never, never understood how they were actually going to operationalize that. That, sa- that sounded great, like we'll re- read the entirety of uh, PubMed or whatever, but with there's so much conflicting information, how would it actually arrive at what's right? Like, just letting everybody know, if you don't understand something in this a- aspect, like a Watson, like it, it might be too complicated to actually be real. It's interesting too, because any announcement of anyone entering the healthcare space is always the biggest thing. And I was, I know you had heard about it, but it was funny because Mark Cuban's announcement a couple of days ago, I saw someone describe it as this is the biggest disruption we've had in the last 10 years. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting and it might be really impactful, but there's so many questions about how it really work and you know, again, how deep are the discounts? There's a lot of questions. So, you know, when you start reading about it, you're like, oh, this, this might be interesting, but to label it a giant success when it's only been out two days, I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, we saw it with the Amazon Berkshire Hathaway Chase thing. When that came, oh my gosh, that sent ripples to the industry. Stock prices went tumbling down for all these companies and uh, they've produced just about nothing uh, and actually broke up. I mean, I think, you know, again, we're going to see Amazon be innovative. I don't count them out. But that whole partnership that really had people worried amounted to just about absolutely nothing. So what I do is sort of take the long view and say, I think some of these disruptors, absolutely, they're going to have positive change. We're going to work with some of them. So it's all positive, but we get very excited. We run around a lot anytime an announcement's made. And it generates a lot of buzz, but you got to look at what it's actually delivering. And when, when you take it down, uh, uh, when you take it all the way back to the basic concept of 
delivering great care, of sending people towards where they're going to have a good experience. When that becomes the, the, the key focus of the question, you're answering what a lot of their promise is that they're trying to bring to the table. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think from our perspective, traditional healthcare, you know, we want things that improve access, improve quality, and reduce costs, right? So, I mean, if there's things that, that deliver that, and we can either partner with someone to make it happen or do it ourselves, I mean, that's what's appealing to us. And I think that's another lens to look at every disruptor is, how are they going to do this? So maybe they're going to increase access, but is it going to do anything for cost? Or maybe they're going to increase quality, but it's only going to be accessible to a really slight, narrow slice of patients, right? So I think that same level of scrutiny that often gets applied to what we do in traditional healthcare doesn't get applied to disruptors. Like, well, they don't ask the hard questions. So like, you know, how's this really going to work? And it always strikes me is that we get very excited and these things are good and they will help drive our industry. There's no, uh, there's no question about that, but we have to use some context and keep it in, keep it in perspective. I did avoid saying disruptor at the beginning. It said innovator, but whatever we want to call it. What they're doing is building out examples. If somebody does something that works and we can see that work on a repeat basis, we don't just take it from the press release. We don't just take it like a week from when Mark Cuban makes the announcement. But if in healthcare, we see somebody doing something that, that does actually work, then it becomes a model that can be replicated in some kind of way. Yeah, not every idea is a good idea. I mean, it's funny and we won't dwell on this too long, but, you know, every kind of retail player that gets in healthcare is also the next success, you know? So we have Walmart, we got Dollar General, we got CrossFit, you know, like, I, I'm like, I don't know how CrossFit's going to have this, but maybe it will, I don't know. But, you know, some of these ideas are bad ideas and probably most of them are, some will be great and some will take off. But even you look at, you know, what Walmart's been doing. So, you know, they've had a lot of kind of organizational turnover, you know, their expansion plans have been slower than they expected. Now, again, I wouldn't count them out or anything, but you do look and say, not all these are good ideas and not all of them are going to be successful. So again, you need to stay focused on what you can control and your fundamentals. And I think challenge your organization to meet some of the goals to be better focused on the patients and the experience and offering what people want and not getting too caught up in what's, you know, like you said, what's going on with the press release. Exactly, exactly. The press release is interesting, but then yeah. Maybe three years on down the road or a year and a half, like you can test those assumptions. We've talked about a lot of things. Like if we go through step by step in the discussion points, I think it started with like the focus on the self, like creating a healthy mind and a healthy environment for yourself to be able to make better decisions. And then once that focus has happened, let's focus on operations. But when we, when we say operations and the way that you phrase it, it was really about the experience that patients receive when they get the services that you might be discussing or given some level of capacity. And then we went on the flip side of that coin and talked about kind of the types of experiences that, that other industry players are, are delivering and where data and, and things like that might be necessary and might, might be pivotal in crafting those types of experiences and communication channels. That's a few moving parts there. And as we're thinking through this 2022 playbook, how can our, our patient activation practitioners make sure that this is going according to plan? Like, what's the strategy that, that you would say to make sure that the clock is ticking correctly here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, one is just really it's fundamental, but it's sort of setting your goals for what you want to do. And that could be basically on the sort of business generation side, but it also could be on this on this topic we were discussing about you know, knowing your patients, knowing your market, it's real fundamental. But again, I think you need to leverage whatever data you have to understand who you're serving. So even things like brand preference, awareness, you know, those things, those are key. Those are like building blocks, right? And again, that might be something that the focus shifted away the last couple of years or didn't have as much time to deal and in, dig into research. 
I really encourage people to start with those fundamentals. Like, where does your brand stand? How do people perceive you versus your competitors? Like getting all that knowledge short up. So again, if you haven't touched that for a while or you haven't had a chance to focus on it, do it. If you don't have those tools today, I would say make a strong case to try to add them. They're really important. It's a really a sound foundational thing. And then I think you kind of go into a little bit deeper and, you know, where some organizations can leverage data to do surveys or other, you know, other areas to kind of engage their patients. And I, and I think also potentially engaging prospects, but there's that level too. And then I think all that sort of comes together again with the information you need from your organization about, you know, what are the business priorities? Again, what do we know? How can we build some plans? So I do feel like kind of once you, as we started with that one step, you know, assess yourself, assess your operations. Then I start, then I think you, you build a plan. Another area where it becomes easy to get distracted or, or kind of not lose focus is looking at our measurement too. So how do we measure what we built out in that plan? Are we seeing progress? Do we have all the data pieces we need? Like just getting that, those fundamentals together and kind of engaging your business partners to report out, but just putting that all together, I think is really important. And can be something that if we get too busy, get distracted, we forget about. So that, that's, to me, that's an important step of the whole process. You know, I know it would be true any year. I think what might be different this year, again, is we might need to do more building. Uh, we might need to go back and see, again, how we've been keeping up with things to really give us the right information to have the plan and build it and work it throughout the year. And yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, I, I like the way that you uh, outlined that. I, th- I think it'll match with the with the recap that we're we're going to send based on this conversation. Just, uh, curious, but like when it comes to communicating that plan, one thing that I that I see a lot being challenged is there's an effort to develop a plan. There, there's all these resources into uh, putting into play, and oftentimes it's not understood, not well received by other critical parts of the organization. Could you talk a little bit about we've developed this playbook for for 2022, but we need support from other leaders? How would you say we can hop some of those hurdles? Well, I think the most important thing is to share what you've got. Everyone needs to actually have a plan that's written down in a format that you can go present or give to people. And so what I encourage is I think everyone should kind of pull together, you call it a little council, whatever you want. But is there an opportunity where you can get in front of the right leaders in your organization? If you're a chief marketing officer or something, like you should be sitting down with your C-suite contemporaries and sharing the plan. You know, and saying this is what we have going on. We've aligned it to the business priorities. Is there anything you see here that you would have questions about or or you need to know more about or you would disagree with any of that stuff. Doing that process to really familiarize and socialize the plan, I think at the highest level of the organization is really important. What I've done in past years too is I'll take that plan and create like an executive summary, like a two-page document. And I'll take that to any meeting I have with like a new business partner. I might meet with, you know, a doctor or whatever, like have this plan and say, this, you know, here's the priorities, here's what we're working on. I want to give you that context because we're going to talk about you know, your program today. And maybe it fits in there. Maybe it's in the top five priorities, but maybe it's not. And so we need to set some expectations about what leadership has decided is important. So I do feel like it's critical. And again, I have seen people do this and I've encountered situations where there is no written plan for the year and there is no deck to take it around and socialize it. There is no executive summary to drop off in a meeting. Like you need those elements to explain what you're doing. And then I think the other piece is it holds you accountable to actually report out what happens, right? So if you you kind of lay out the priorities, if you're having quarterly discussions to say where you're at, what you're doing, whether anything's changed, it actually holds you accountable to report back, talk about what you found, how it, and, and again, in a given year, a lot of priorities will change, but you got to start, you have to start with that piece of it's written down, it's trackable, it's reportable. And then you're updating it at least quarterly with new information and reporting out 
And then that builds you into the cycle of kind of getting ready to repeat things over and over again. But I do know how challenging it's been for the last two years to, you know, follow the traditional cycle of you do your planning in the summer, you write your plan kind of in the fall, and then you're ready to go Jan 1. Well, that might not be reality this year. So again, if you haven't done it, I think now's the time to just really shore all that up and get kind of get your process back on track as soon as you can. Fantastic. Yeah. Sounds like a powerful fort that you're focusing on on building to kind of protect that plan. Like when you have those collations, when you have the, these things written down and when you're reporting on it consistently, some of the new things that you were planning on trying that they have the opportunity to better solidify in the minds of your constituents. I think in our profession, especially on the marketing and communication side, people are not understanding what you're doing is our worst enemy, right? Because then they'll just ask you to do everything. And it's always a challenge to prioritize and have a lens to filter request in through. It's always hard. Even when you have a great plan, even when you've done your tremendous job in writing, researching, getting socialization, it's always hard. But if you don't have any structure, you're just going to be fending off one and two little requests here and there, or things are coming out of nowhere. How do you run it through a filter at all? So I do feel like it's just a fundamental piece. It takes maintenance though, too, because you have to update it. You have to change it if priorities change, but it gives you a, it gives you a starting point to have a conversation with people about, again, this is what, how we started the year. This is what we've been doing. If we're going to make a change, you know, we got to reopen the plan and kind of go from there. But it's such an important filter and a lever for you to use to prioritize your work. And also, I think getting your team aligned around a common vision, too. So if you're leading a team, having that plan gives firm groundwork that everyone can feel like they're aligned to. Your final thoughts, please, on there's a whole bevy of things that we discussed Oh, there's all kinds of different things like I, like my head might be spinning if, if I was looking at all the different things that, that we're talking about having to do. So what should people be leaving this conversation with ready to start doing in order to tackle 2022 without getting frustrated the, the 2018 playbook won't come back? Well, yeah, and I, you know, it's a great point there. I don't, I don't think we're 2018 is going to come back, you know, for quite a while. And that's okay. I think we've learned how to work differently. So I would say... To think it to the rest of the year ahead, I mean, I, I kind of put it in steps. And I think step one, again, focus on yourself, focus on your team. What do you need to do to get yourself in the right mindset to refresh your energy level to really be able to tackle the whole year? So, again, if you're there in step one, great. You've done that. That's awesome. If you haven't done that, I think you need to do that. The second step is really looking at your operation pieces. We talked about that. Understanding what you have to market or communicate about what's really ready for prime time when you sort of come out of the COVID surge and, and you're ready to pick things up again. So understanding that operational piece, fixing anything that's a problem, removing those barriers to patient experience. You know, step three, knowing your audiences, making sure that you've got the right data, you've got the right partnerships to get what you need. I think that's really important and critical. And if you're in a situation, again, where you can kind of make sure you're in the right conversations about how we approach patient acquisition, really important. So again, I, th I think that's probably step three. Step four is, is really evaluating your results on a regular basis, making sure you're stepping back, again, at least quarterly, to look at your progress, to, to connect with your business partners, report out, do all those, do that fundamental work and adjust. You know, again, if you see something's not working, I think we've all agreed that like, this is a fail fast time. If you do something that doesn't work, don't be afraid to get away from it. But you need to make sure it's not a drain on your resource. You need to make sure it's actually working. And then it's funny because I think step five is we're going to repeat the cycle, right? So if, if things go according to plan, we do these things. Hopefully this fall, we'll be all, you know, getting our plans ready for next year. We'll do all these things. But we need to set ourselves up now uh, to take the steps over the next, you know, 10 months, 11 months to, to really dial everything in. So, again, start with yourself and then build out from there. I think that's the best approach for the, for the rest of the year. 
Excellent. And I'll just recap these similar points. The steps that Alan outlined are to focus on yourself, your health and your team, to look at, uh, look at your operations, to know and understand your audiences and evaluate those results and adjust uh, before repeating the cycle. Uh, lots of great so uh, resources out there to help with that. Alan, I wanted to thank you for taking some time with us. You've been a great friend of us and a great friend to, to Hello Healthcare and, the, and uh, the stuff that we're doing. So uh, looking forward to checking in with you later this year around 2023 to see how these things are going. Yeah, definitely. And we will get to a place, I think, where we can feel like we're more normal again at some time. <laughs> and just encourage you to, to try to keep your energy level up. I think that's a great profession to be in. And so the more we can support each other, uh, the better. And I hope, you know, our conversation today helped do that a little bit. Thank you, Alan. And yeah, don't forget people to, to focus on keeping that energy level up. I requested it at the beginning. I'm going to request it again that you follow Alan on LinkedIn. Good daily dose of uh, positivity and insight. Follow him on Twitter. So again, I appreciate you and we'll see you later. Thanks again for tuning into Hello Healthcare. If you like what you heard, we appreciate a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You and your feedback fuel us. This conversation is brought to you by Actium Health. To get the latest on what these healthcare leaders are saying, subscribe to our newsletter on hellohealthcare.com or join us for our weekly sessions on LinkedIn. Thanks, and when we see you next time, hello. Hello.